Amen. And joy to the world. We have joy because of Christ, and I hope that you are joyful this morning. I see over here is the red section. I mean, there's a lot of red over here, and uh, this is the section that's just like there's a lot of black over here. I don't know what it is, if Atlanta United has swept through here or what, but um, hey, I'm excited that you are at church this morning. Uh, we're getting ready to, tonight to celebrate uh, this is the coming of Christ with our candlelight service, but Right now, this morning, uh, just just glad you can come in and worship in, in with us at Northside. Especially if you're a guest, if you are uh, a guest of ours, we would love to know who you are and your contact information. There's a portion of the bulletin that you can uh, fill out and tear out, and then place in the offering or give it to a minister at the at the door at the end of the service. But right now, if you would take this time to greet one another and let them know the joy that's within you because of Jesus.
us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come to your house and worship you and learn more about you. Lord, please help us to dig deeper into your word and for us to shine the light of you as we go throughout our week. Lord, please bless these tithes and offerings and help them further your kingdom. In your name, amen.
Thank you, choir. Ask our children to come and join me up front, right here. A little time of a children's message. All right. How we doing? Good. Well, what's what's coming up this week? Anybody know what's coming up this week? Christmas. That's right. Christmas is coming, and you know we've had. Uh, We've had lots of different things that we've talked about. You know, I had the little gift uh, that we talked about represented hope. Um, we had a pillow that represented rest and peace. And then last week we opened the gift and there was joy in there, right? Because there were starbursts. Yeah. Uh, somebody told me I should have just tossed it out to the crowd. Yeah, then everybody would have been joyful. So, but today, listen, today we're going to talk about love. And I don't really have anything to represent love because, well, I'm going to show you something in, in just a little bit uh, because I believe that love isn't something that you necessarily see. Love is something that you do. And so we're going we're to talk about love, but in just a, just a minute, um, I got something I want you to do. But right now, look up here and, and listen as they talk about love for us and, and lighting the candle of love. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those old words remind us it was love that began it all. Of the coming Christ. Of the day into the night. Of life into death. It all happened because we are loved. So the second person of the Trinity, eternal and infinite God, the creator of all things, entered into his own creation. And the fullness of deity was packed into a single cell in a woman's womb. It was the first step in a long journey to the cross, and why? Bible says it was because we are loved. But it's not only we who are loved. The love that caused Christmas loves the entire world. As we light the candle of love and as we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we remember God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And the love of God lights our night. The love of God is the candle in the window that guides us safely home. All right. Thank you. God's love is... Well, it's, it's almost too much for words. It's so big. And here's something that, that I appreciate. Uh, you know, each week we talk about Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and we've been putting bows on the tree to represent the money that's been raised. Um, well, I might need a little bit of help this morning. I might need a little bit of help. So uh, this morning, because of the money that our church has raised for Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we get to put 12 bows on the Christmas tree. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, whoever wants to be first, just come and take one. And you can hand it to, to Bella or Miss Emma. They'll help you put it on there. So just come on. we got to get 12. we got to move quickly. If you want to put one up, there we go. Here, you want to you put one up? Ben, you want to put one up there? All right. Well, i got a lot more here. Just come on, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Who's counting? Not me, I should have. All right. I got three more that need to go up. There we go. All right, as soon as you get the bows put up there, I do have one more thing for you, one more thing for you to do. So come on back as soon as you get your bow. Come sit right here for me. Come sit right here. Right here. Now, we've been talking about love today, and so this is what I want you to do. Find somebody 
Find somebody in this room that you love and give them a hug. Ready? Go. Go give somebody a hug. Oh, well, isn't that nice? <laughs> Thank you. You can find two somebodies if you want to, but as soon as you do that, come on back and we will, uh, and we will pray. Were you a dancer in the Nutcracker? Look at those ears. Oh, I know. Like you're having a good time. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ. The Bible says that this is how we know what love is, that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for sending Jesus. And thank you that we know what love is. Help us to love each other as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. few weeks we have taken this time in the service to talk about our international missions especially through the uh, International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention and so this week I have a very special guest to, to want to uh, introduce to you uh, I, I would share a lot about her but she's going to just kind of share who she is anyway and so uh, without any further ado I present to you Lottie Moon My name is Charlotte Diggs Moon. Those of you lucky enough to have been in GAs or RAs may know me by my nickname, Lottie. Pastor BJ has invited me to share a little with you a bit about my life. I was born on December 12th in 1840 near Scottsville, Virginia, to Edward Harris and Anna Marie Barclay Moon. I was raised in a large, wealthy family in the Old South. 
My uncle purchased the estate of Thomas Jefferson, and my home was built by a friend of George Washington. My family had everything you could ask for, a large tobacco plantation, seven children, 52 servants, a live-in tutor, and lots of money. My parents raised me to be a proper southern belle, but I had a bit of a devilish streak. Maybe that's why I stopped growing at four foot three. For example, although my father was a founding member and long life deacon of our local church, Scottsville Baptist, I was the least bit interested in religion as a child. I made my feelings known. And in order to preserve this Sabbath, my family would prepare our meals on Saturday. This did not suit me one bit. I mean, who wants a cold meal? So when my family went to church on Sunday, I would sneak home and prepare myself a large meal before they returned. Yes, it was naughty, but for the first 18 years of my life, I violently opposed the faith of my father. My father died in a riverboat accident while on a business trip when I was 13. What kind of God would do such thing to a young girl? The following year, I was enrolled in the Virginia Female Institute, where I was a good student. I loved learning but I despised all sort of religion instructions. I skipped chapel 26 times in my last two quarters. Sunday was not for sitting on a ch in a church pew hearing a sermon, but for lying in a haystack reading Shakespeare. My friends considered me a proud skeptic, and no one would have considered Lottie Moon missionary material. Just before Christmas in 1858, a miracle of God changed my heart of stone. I attended a series of evangelistic meetings and prayer services with families and friends. I know they were praying for me because there was a night that week I could not sleep. A barking dog kept me awake, and my mind raced with thoughts of my eternal destiny and the state of my soul before God. I professed my faith and was baptized a few days later. I returned to school and took every single course the school offered, including courses in religion. In 1861, I received one of the first Master of Arts degrees ever awarded to a, to a woman by a Southern Institute. Now, if you remember your history, you realize I graduated one year before the Civil War. I helped my mother maintain the estate during the war I, and strongly supported the Confederacy. I was, after all, a Virginia Belle. I also served as a tutor for a family in Georgia. After the war, I started a teaching career. I started in Dansville, Kentucky, then helping open the Cartersville Female High School in Cartersville, Georgia. I also ministered to the poor families of Bartow County, Georgia. I was happy with my life as an education pioneer and had absolutely no, no desire to leave the States. To my family's surprise, my younger sister, Edamonia, accepted the call to go to North China as the first single woman Baptist missionary in 1872. My sister and I exchanged long, heartfelt letters in her absence. The Southern Baptist Convention had relaxed its policy against sending single women into the mission field, and I soon felt the call to follow her. On July 7, 1873, the Foreign Mission Board officially appointed me as a missionary to go to China. I was 32 years old. I'm ashamed to admit it, but when I arrived in China, my attitude was not so Christ-like. I was sophisticated, well-educated. These people were not. I held racial supporty over the Chinese. A thinking prevalent in the South where I was raised. As a result, I entered China very prejudiced 
against the people I wanted to reach. No wonder I had trouble making friends. Only women could reach Chinese women. They didn't trust foreigners. I was still trying to learn their language and customs. I felt frustrated, and I confessed my talent was being wasted. Constantly corresponding with H.A. Tupper, the head of the Foreign Mission Board, informing him of the realities of mission work and the desperate need for more workers, both men and women. In 1877, I returned to the States with my sister. I rekindled a relationship with a gentleman named C.H. Toy, and had plans to marry in the spring. But sadly, I realized he adopted some liberal, liberal religious beliefs. I could not accept. The marriage was called off, and I realized I had a genuine love for the Chinese people and returned to the mission board, mission field. As years turned into decades, the focus of my ministry changed, and I changed. I learned the local custom and adopted the dress of those around me. I found baking tea cakes gave me a way to connect with the children who invited me to meet their mother. They called me. They began to call me the cookie lady. I continued to write and describe the conditions and needs of missionaries. Then in 1887, I wrote to the Foreign Mission Journal to, and proposed the week before Christmas be established as a time of giving to the Foreign Missions Board. The Southern Baptist women organized the first Christmas offering for missions in 1888, collected over $3,315, enough to send three new missionaries to China. Since then, the annual missions fund named after me has raised more than $1.5 billion for missions and finances half the entire Southern Board missions budget every year. Throughout my 40 years of missionary career, I faced plague, famine, revolution, illness. I felt the first 18 years were wasted, just sorrowing with li very little reaping, and I grew frustrated. I, but I developed a love for the Chinese people and gladly walked with them, sacrificed with them, and starved with them. After all this, what would I like you to know? First of all, discipleship is not based on what we bring to Christ. It's what he gives to us. Second of all, discipleship is not based on our intellect or understanding. It's based on our faith in Christ. Third, God is not looking for attractive people or rich people or sophisticated people. He's looking for people who are simply faithful, available, trainable. God will gladly use anyone who is sold out for him. It may sound like I gave a lot up to be a missionary in China. So is the question, would I do it again? You betcha. I get a lot back more than I gave up. I don't feel like I did anything spectacular, but we can do spectacular things together. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Lottie. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Gotta use anybody as long as you're available. And um, in the economy of God, whatever we give up, we gain so much more. So thank you for sharing that. And um, we're going to take this time to pray for our, our missionaries. Father, I want to thank you for people like, like Lottie Moon, who, from, from our viewpoint, from, from the world's viewpoint, gave up something that made a silly transaction to go to China. But Lord, we know that um, to carry the gospel somewhere and to be in your service, uh, Lord, we... We are blessed beyond measure, 
Uh, we, are, we are blessed because you are the giver of all good things. Father, right now, I, I just want to pray for those who are currently serving on our mission field, that you bless them, that you see that they see fruit from their labors, uh, Lord, that they point people to Christ, especially right now, even at this Christmas season. Guide them and lead them, and may they follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we will be in Acts chapter 28 today. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and turn to chapter 28, the final chapter in the book of Acts. We'll be rounding this out next week. Uh, but if you, if you have your Bibles and you've turned to the book of Acts chapter 28, I would ask if you are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading Acts 28, 1 through 10. Once ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showered us, extraordinary, showered us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer. And though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead, but after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, He was a god. Now in the area around that place, there was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Lord, thank you for your word. Please bless the reading of your word. Speak to us now, and may we listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are several things we could discuss from this passage this morning. We could look at, um, well, we could look at what it means to be shipwrecked when it's cold and rainy, and maybe that's a metaphor for how our lives are from time to time. We could look about how there was a Roman, there, there was this Roman uh, legend about a shipwrecked fugitive who died snake-bitten on a beach and how that may lead these people who are at Malta to understand, uh, you know, to, to, to project this on Paul as, as well. In fact, in, in the version that I have, the word justice is capitalized because it's a, it's a Greek word that refers back to one of these gods, that it's not just justice as an idea, but justice, the little g god that may have its revenge upon Paul. We may, we may talk about the humility of Paul, rejecting the notion that he was a god. We could certainly learn from that. Or maybe we could talk about the miracle through prayer and laying on of hands of the healing of this man who was homesick and all the other healings that took place, those who had diseases. But today, what I really want to focus in on is Malta's hospitality. Malta's hospitality. For the last several weeks, we've, we've been able to look at this ending portion of Acts here. And as Paul stood before Festus and he said, I have hope 
in God, and, and we lit our candle of hope, and, and then we talked about how he had chains, and he said, uh, and, and we said that he could have peace in chains. And then last week, in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this, of this terrible storm, he's just about to be shipwrecked, and he breaks bread, and he thanks his God, and he feeds the men there. We talked about how you can have joy in trials, and we have looked at the candles here, hope, peace, and joy that comes at Christmas. So today, I want us to consider love in action, or love in deed. That it's not just that we love with our words, but we show our love by the things that we do. Paul and all the soldiers and all the sailors that were shipwrecked were met with hospitality. Now, I want you to think about this. If, if there is someone who is shipwrecked and you're thinking it's a merchant ship, there may be a certain kind of, of folks or certain character of men that come aboard, uh, that they come ashore because they've been in a merchant ship. But this one housed a lot of prisoners and a lot of soldiers and Whenever you're talking about a group of men in which there are a lot of prisoners, perhaps you'd be a little, you'd be a little weary of taking them in and being hospitable to them because you just don't know what kind of character they have. But for whatever reason, the folks at Malta were hospitable to Paul and all of his comrades that were on the ship with him. You see, they were, they were hospitable. They were thinking of others before thinking of themselves. In the end, what I would say is it was love. It was love. But not only that, we also see that Paul goes to the sick and he heals them. What would compel Paul to go to a man he had never met and pray over him for healing? I believe it all comes down to love. No other subject, no other subject has been the attention of authors and poets, musicians and vocalists from Broadway to Hollywood, all attempting to define or, or capture what it means to love or what is the essence of love. In fact, if I were to ask you to name some famous couples, maybe you think of Romeo and Juliet or Cleopatra and Mark Antony or Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler or maybe Jack and Rose or if maybe something a little more, maybe you were among the millions who fairly recently were infatuated with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. You think about couples and famous couples in, in our history. But listen, love, I would say, doesn't have to be especially romantic. Um, I want to share with you a little bit about uh, Albert Einstein, someone who we would say he was a brilliant man, deep intellect, a little portion of a love note that he wrote to his wife, who was not with him at the time, was away. And Albert, the brilliant man Einstein, wrote this. We understand one another's dark souls so well, and also drinking coffee and eating sausages, etc. I mean, doesn't that just drip with love and rom romance? Glad you laughed. That was hanging on the edge there. But yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you can be brilliant and not necessarily romantic. But uh, whatever. Maybe it was special to her. So who am I to say? Um, maybe we can eat sausages together on Christmas, Lindsay. But the truth is, love isn't expressed so much in word 
as it is indeed. I mean, really, we can, we can say a lot about love, but if you want to hold your place there in Acts chapter 28, you may want to turn to 1 John 3.16. You're probably familiar with John 3.16 in the gospel, but the letter, 1 John 3.16, he says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You notice he doesn't say that Jesus Christ told us what love was, though he did. What he says is that we know this is love because he laid down his life for us. Love is a choice. Now, if I were to attempt to just put a definition on this, like I have attempted in the last couple of weeks to define peace and, and joy and that kind of thing. If I were just to make an attempt, just make a stab at it, you don't have to write this down or it'll probably never be printed in Webster's Dictionary, but this is what I come up with. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion for the benefit of others. It's a choice. Now, some would say that love is not an emotion. Well, it's, we're not driven by our emotions, but man, love is certainly accompanied by emotion. But it's a choice. It's an act of the will, and you do it for the benefit of someone else, not for yourself. There is a romantic type of love, but there's also self-sacrificing love, and there's love we have in general for each other. But I think all of them can fall under this. It's something that we do. It's an act of the will accompanied by emotion for the benefit of others. When I stop and I think about the love of God, I'm left with this question. What would compel God? What would compel God to send his only begotten son into this world, this cruel, sinful, dark world? And as illogical as that may seem, the answer is simply love. He loves us. He loves us. You all know that uh, a year and a half ago took a group of teenagers and college students to Ecuador for a mission trip. Uh, by the way, we're going back again this summer, and so you'll hear more about that. We'll roll that out for you in January. But um, while we were there, we did all kinds of, of, of things. I, I enjoyed, and we shared the gospel with people. But one particular instance, uh, we were sitting in a park, and somebody came running through the park. There were, there were two guys that came running through the park, and they had flyers. And as they ran by, they handed us these flyers. And, of course, it was in Spanish, but if you don't know, I, I lived about six months, five-plus months in Mexico City, and my, my Spanish is, is, is not great, but it was enough that I could kind of figure out what it was saying. Uh, but I wanted to stop these guys because I could tell pretty quick that it was a pamphlet that talked about God, Okay talked about God. So I thought, well, hey, I'm here to talk about God. They're here to talk about God. Let's talk. And so I, I kind of chased them down and flagged them down and found out these two guys were Muslim. These two guys were Muslim. The first thing that they said to me was uh, that we don't speak Spanish. And I said, that's awesome. I don't really speak Spanish that well either, but you're talking to me and I'm understanding. And what I just said to you, you understand. So let's speak in English to each other. And so we sat down and began to talk for quite a while. And I shared about my faith and they shared about their faith and I talked about Jesus and and they talked about Muhammad and at the end of the day one of the things that they just could not get over 
They could not get over how we believe that God came down out of the heavens to live in this, this world and that we say that God is fully man and fully God in the person, in the body of Jesus Christ. They couldn't get over that. How in the world could a God descend to this earth and defile himself as a, as a man? That was, that was their concept. How is it that, that God can do that? How can you worship someone who comes down to earth and said, you know what, that's, that's a pretty incredible claim that you're making. And, and I understand where, where you're coming from. It doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't make sense to worship another human if that's what you believe Jesus is. We don't worship just another human. We don't worship just another prophet, however. We worship a God who came in the form of Jesus Christ. Well, well, why would God do that? And I stopped for just a second. And I said, because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's why he would do it. Because he loves me. Because he loves the whole world. And when you strip everything away, God loves you. You got it. If, if you can't begin to fathom, look, one of the difference in the God that you worship and the God that I worship, because you think we worship the same God, we don't. I can say my God loves me. Your God is very distant. And it makes all the difference in the world to understand that my God loves me. What would compel God to send his only begotten son into this world? Love. Love. But there's more that could be said about love. If you've been around the church very long or you've maybe been to a wedding in which people uh, were both believers, you've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 or read through that passage. I want to read it for you today from a little different standpoint. I want to read, read this chapter to you from the message because I want you just to hear a little different and I don't want it to be the same old thing, and, and I don't want it just to, I don't want to just gloss over it. But maybe there's something a little different for you here. Listen to the way that Eugene Peterson pins this, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's love with power, revealing all his mysteries, and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say or what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech 
will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete, but when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I read that idea of love, I realize just how far short I come. I fall way short of that idea of love. I think if we're honest, we all do. But we should still strive for that. If we keep going, if you keep going in that chapter, you get towards the end there. Verse 13 says this. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Just like I told the, the Muslims I saw in Ecuador, it boils down to love. It boils down to love. Either you believe that God loves you or you don't. Love is the essence of our religion, Christianity, because God is love. This is how I know that God loves me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was opposed to God, Jesus Christ died for me. When I was pursuing unrighteousness, he died for me. When I was pursuing all the things of the world, not pursuing God, he still died for me. When I didn't love him, he loved me and showed it on the cross. But listen, and if you don't hear anything else I say today, if you don't know the love of Christ, if you're in here this morning and you've never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I just want to ask you this. Bear with me. I want you to just to strip everything away. Strip away all the excuses. Strip away all the evils done in the name of the church. Whether it's the crusades or immoral priests or pastors or church leaders, strip it away. Strip away all the hypocrites that you know. Strip away all the church's bravado in the political arena and all the politics within the church's walls too. Strip away all the music that you don't like and, and strip away all the songs that you could sing forever. Strip away all the stuffy coats and ties and the jeans and t-shirts. The preacher's constantly asking for money and the judgmental glances. The bickering. The unforgiving attitude. Strip it away. Strip away all the pomp and circumstance, all the holier-than-thous and all the religious traditions. Strip it away. Strip away everything. Listen, strip away everything that isn't Christ. Strip all that away except for Christ. You're left with faith, hope, and love because you're left with Christ. And the truth is that if you never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I just want you to wrestle with this. God loves you. God loves you. Say it with me. Say, God loves me. Ready? God loves me. Again, God loves me. That's a truth that once we begin to just understand it will absolutely change our lives. God, creator, master, Lord of lords, king of kings, God is the one who loves you. 
who does what? Who loves you, not despises you or hates you or wishes ill will toward you, but loves you. And not just loves the whole world, but loves you. God loves me. When we strip everything else away, we have faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. But love didn't begin at Christmas. No, God's love has been there all along. That blood-red thread of atonement. You can see it in Eden's garden all the way to Emmanuel's Golgotha. There's that thread of atonement. God seeking to bring his people back into restoration to redeem them. If love is best expressed through action, which I believe it is, then what we know of this baby, this baby boy, this child of Mary, well, it ought to resonate in every heart. We sang a minute ago, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then... Jesus went out and laid down his life for you and for me. If you're still there at 1 John chapter 3, let's keep going. 1 John 3, 16 says, This is how we have come to know the love, or have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's good has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need. How can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but with truth and action. Do you know the love of God? If you do, then show it to others. Show it to others. What if the world, what if the world knew the church more for what we stood for? than what we stood against. I haven't done an official poll, but, I, but my, my guess is there's a lot of people who they could tell you everything that we're against, but they may not know what we stand for. <laughs> Lindsay loves to be with me whenever we're walking down the street somewhere, usually in downtown Atlanta, and there's one of these street preachers because uh, I want to go talk to them. I want to go talk to them. I go up and talk to them and uh, if nothing else, they stop yelling for just a minute. Um, man. And I just, you're not speaking untruth most of the time. Most of the time, they're not speaking untruth. But good night, where's the love? Why in the world would I want to join up with you if that's what you do? I mean, mercy's sakes. Relax a little bit. And then, by the way, 1 John 3, 16, or 17, if anyone has this world's good and sees his brother and needs, he closes his eyes. And I want to ask this question. How can God's love reside in him? How can God's love reside in you? We are to speak the truth in love. Listen, Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples if you 
Love one another. It's not that they will know you're my disciples if you can preach a great sermon. They'll know you're my disciples if you can read a lot of books. They'll know you're my disciples if you can uh, point out sin in someone else's life. All of that stuff, no, it, you'll, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, holding with that, if I love someone, I want to see them repent from their sin, and I want to help point that out. But you do it in a, in, a, in a way of love, not to condemn someone to break them down. You do it so that they fall before the master. You do it so they fall before Jesus. You do it so that the Holy Spirit moves, and, and there's, a, there's a brother or a sister in Christ now. And if we don't love our neighbor, then we're left really with two options the way I see it. Either we're ignorant of the fact that we should love our neighbor, or we're really not a disciple of Jesus. If we don't love our neighbor, if we don't love one another, either it's because we don't know that, and I'm, I'm telling you now, we ought to love our brother, or we're really not a disciple of Jesus. It's a commandment. Now, I know Martin Luther struggled with this because how can you command somebody to love something if you don't already love it? Commanding someone doesn't really generate that, that love. And uh, I, I'm along the lines of, of J.D. Greer on this. I've heard him say this several times. You don't have to command me. You don't have to command me to kiss my wife, eat a steak, or take a nap. I'm going to do that anyway. I love those things. You don't have to command me to. Um, but how do you do that if, if, if I'm struggling with this idea of love? Just commanding doesn't make it happen. But I like what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says this. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Now, again, that's not scriptural truth. But it's pretty, good, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good advice. Maybe I'm having a hard time loving somebody. But what if, let me just imagine if I did love that person, what would I say to them? How would I treat them? What are some things I could do for them? If I did love that person, how would I behave toward them? It's pretty good advice. And I do believe the more we do that, the more we see a heart generated by love. Listen, the folks at Malta... The folks at Malta, I don't know whether they were Christians or not. It doesn't really talk about whether they were believers or not. But uh, if, if Paul went around healing them, and if we know anything about Paul, he didn't just heal. He shared the gospel. He told them about Jesus. Maybe there weren't any believers when they were shipwrecked on the island, but I can't help but think there were some believers there when they left. That's just me. But here's what I do know. They showed love through hospitality. They showed love in action. They cared for them. They were, they were wet and cold. They, they started a fire. And as they set sail, it says that they made sure we had everything that we needed. This Advent season, this Christmas season, look, we have uh, we've peered over the horizon. We've peered over the horizon with expectancy, and we found hope in Jesus Christ. We've rested in peace, rested in peace, understanding that the Messiah has come to make all things new. He's come to restore. We've danced and laughed with exuberant joy. When they showed up at, at, at the tomb on Sunday morning and there was no body, they were joyful. We have joy. And today we recognize it was love 
that began it all. Well, if there's two things to take away from today, there's some truth here. It, 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 it demands response. It demands us to respond one way or the other. The love of Christmas is realized on the cross. The love of Christmas is realized on the cross. This is how we know that God loves us, is that he sent his son to die for us. It's realized on the cross. And God loves you. God loves you. And the second thing is this. Now go. If you know the love of God, go. And prove yourself a disciple of his by loving one another. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today. Ah, oh, man, thank you for loving us. Even when we didn't deserve it, even though we don't deserve it, even when we were filled with our unrighteousness and sin, we were opposed to you, we were proud, we were arrogant, we thought that we didn't need you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for each of us. So Lord, we have a response. Either we believe that you love us, or we don't. God, I, I don't know how. I don't know why. doesn't make any sense to me, but thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your word that teaches. Thank you for Jesus Christ who shows us what love is. And Lord, if, if we know that love, we can't help but love each other. I, it's not easy. Sometimes it's hard to love someone that doesn't love you back. But that's not what you've asked us to do is to go and love some. You've asked us to love each other, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. That's what we're to do. So, Lord, even when it's hard, help me to show love toward my neighbor. God, generate within me a sense of love that can only come from you. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ it's in his name I pray, amen. I ask if you would please stand. We'll have a time of commitment, time where as God speaks, would you just respond? Maybe it's right there in your chair. Maybe it's up here at the altar. Uh, as God leads, you respond, you listen. And let's sing. in the house of God this morning. And uh, I didn't give Curtis my notes, but, uh, man, you couldn't have picked a more perfect song for that sermon. So uh, appreciate that.
We are going to uh, have our candlelight service tonight, 6 o'clock. We'd love for you to come, bring your friends and neighbors. And, um, you know, come come as you are. Don't feel like you if you go home and relax this afternoon, uh, that's, that's fine. Um, come on back at 6 o'clock. We'll have our, our Lord's Supper tonight as well. We're not meeting tomorrow night or Wednesday night this week. Uh, we'll be back in action on, on Sunday. But uh, from the staff and, and, and from... Uh, you know, our, what was I going to say? Oh, from just this, from our staff, Merry Christmas. And I um, don't know why I was trying to make it complicated. But let's, let's sing this last song together. We need a little love.
just thank you for this opportunity once again to come to your house and praise and worship you this morning, dear Lord. Uh, just thank you for the love that we have for one another, for the love that we have for this church, church family. Just ask that uh, you would just bless us during this Christmas season and just watch over us and bring us back here safely tonight as we uh, celebrate you once again in your heavenly and gracious name. Amen. <laughs> 